Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's up, guys? Dr. Tom here, and you're listening to The Positivity Effect, episode number 91, Framing and the Enlightenment Paradox. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. Just a quick announcement. This is going to be the only episode for this week, but there's going to be a big shift next week that I'm really excited about, but we're going to talk about that next week on Monday. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. Today we have back on Stephen Sashin, the CEO and visionary behind Zero Shoes, and that's zero with an X, X-E-R-O shoes.com. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, number 90, The Art of Sprinting with Stephen, I encourage you to go back. We have a real deep philosophical conversation, and we do the same today. Stephen comes on and, and talks about this idea of framing and, and what that means in your mind when you're trying to frame something whether you're approaching a new business idea or you're looking to change something about your body or your health or your fitness. It's all about how you look at something and how you frame it. We also talk, we talk about what it means to really be successful and what that meant to Stephen. And we, he gives us that real simplified, watered-down version of how long it took to become successful with Zero because, of course, there's so much work and stuff that went on behind the scenes that we could talk for days of really what that looked like for for zero shoes but he's just so gracious to come on and to share some of his stories and his experiences and we go into a lot of other things as well and some at towards the end of the show we talk about his experience actually with shark tank which was very interesting and, and really cool to hear about so i hope you guys enjoy this episode again we will be having another episode starting back up next monday but it's going to be a whole new format so i'm really excited about it but guys help me welcome Stephen from XERO Shoes, ZeroShoes.com now to the positivity effect. Hey, what's going on, Stephen? Welcome back. Day two. Thank you. Thank you. So we kind of left everybody off on a cliffhanger yesterday. Mm. And uh, so you've been gaining a lot of traction uh, with, with pun intended. Pun, inten- pun intended, yes. Uh, so I'd love for you to talk about why, why minimal shoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, personally or in general? In, in general, yeah, definitely uh, in general. So in general, look, in general is really easy. If you go back prior to 1972 when Nike started making big padded motion control shoes, mostly padded first, the motion control came afterwards when they realized that the padding made you unstable, then they started adding motion control. But if you go back before that and you look at footwear, especially performance footwear, it was all minimalist. It was all really thin, flexible soles, really thin, flexible uppers. That's it. And there's no evidence that all of the new big padded motion control, air bubble, hydraulic lift, whatever stuff, has improved performance or reduced injury rates in any way whatsoever. I mean, think about it. If you could make a shoe that was reliably, demonstrably, scientifically proven to improve performance or reduce injury, that's worth literally billions of dollars a year. There's a lot of companies with a lot of financial incentive to do that. Why haven't they? And the answer is because the fundamental premise they're working on that you need more stuff is simply faulty. 
But the bigger thing is just look at the evidence. They haven't done it. And in fact, the, the way that footwear is marketed typically is, hey, here's our brand new magic technology, and it's replacing the magic technology we had six months ago that we told you was brand new and magic. Or, hey, don't you want to be like this guy who's wearing our shoes? Oh, by the way, they're custom made, and they're nothing like what you're going to buy. And the only reason that you market those two in those two methods is when you don't have anything real to sell. So you're either doing hand waving and like, look at our cool stuff that isn't really as cool as they want to, as they make it seem, or hey, don't you want to be like this guy? And that's just social proof identification stuff. That's um, it's very effective, but it's what you do when you when you have nothing else to do. So what was what was it for you? What, why? You know, when you started realizing that you had to switch, what was that point? It's pretty straightforward. Actually, I want to back up and do one more thing about the the basic principle. Um, I'm right now doing a thing that people who are just listening can't see, which is I'm holding my arm in front of me with my forearm, well, like my thumb pointing towards my chest, my forearm parallel to the ground, and I'm wiggling my fingers. That's what your feet are designed to do, to bend, to flex, and to feel. And if you don't let your foot do that thing and, and does all those things, sorry, I'll say this. 25% of the bones and joints of your body are in your feet. And there's more nerve endings in the bottom of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. And this is not an accident. It's for balance. It's for agility. It's for knowing if you're stepping on something safe or not. So your foot's designed to move, to bend, to flex, and to feel. And if you don't let it do that, that function tries to move upstream, if you will, to your ankle, your knee, your hip, and your back. But those joints aren't designed for that function, which leads to problems. It can lead to pain when you put a joint under stress and strain and angles and ways that aren't. it's not designed for. So if you if you're in a big padded motion control shoe or what we affectionately refer to as a foot coffin, then you're not letting your foot do its job and you're, you're creating problems upstream. If you go back to something that lets your foot do its job, then you take the pressure off of those upstream joints and ligaments and tendons and muscles. And similarly, when you are using big padded shoes, you tend to land on your heel, which is unstable. Therefore, you need pronation control because you just <laughs> created the need for it. And when you land with a straight on your heel with a straight leg, you're sending a spike of force up through your joints directly rather than if you land on using your foot, your ankle, your, your knees, your hips. If you use your muscles, ligaments, and tendons the way they're designed, you take all this force off of your body. Research shows that if you're running barefoot, you run with less force going through your body than or less um, abrupt force going through your body than you do if you're running in shoes. So that's the big scientific background. For me, what happened when I got back into sprinting at the age of 45, I was getting injured constantly. And a friend of mine who was a world, world champion cross country runner said, why don't you try running barefoot and see if you learn anything from that? And I did. And I did. Uh, what I discovered was that I well, what I, happened was my, my first barefoot run, uh, I ended up with a big blister on the ball of my left foot. And most people go, hey, this doesn't work. I got a blister. I, for whatever reason, went, hey, how come I didn't get a blister on my right foot? <laughs> and so it's like clearly my right leg was doing something correctly that my left leg didn't know how to do. And it was not lost on me that most of my injuries were on my left leg. So my next barefoot run a week later, I still have this gaping hole on the bottom of my foot. I thought, I'm going to go for a run. I'll just try it for 10 minutes. And if I can figure out how to run pain-free, then I'm probably not doing the thing that caused the problem to begin with. So let's just do an experiment and see what happens. Nine minutes and 30 seconds in, I'm about to give up because it was just like, ow, 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 for almost 10 minutes. And in the nine minute and 31 second mark, something changed. 
And suddenly I was running faster, easier, lighter, totally pain-free. And what changed, I realized after the fact, was that I had been overstriding. I had been reaching out with my foot and applying braking forces, horizontal friction, every time I landed. And I was pulling with my foot to get it off the ground rather than placing my foot sort of underneath my center of mass and lifting it off the ground. And what I did was spontaneously started placing and lifting because your brain is a pretty smart thing. It likes if you if you box it into a corner where you're making it something do something that's painful, 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 it eventually goes, hey, let's try something different. And so it tried something different. And I had been experimenting, but then it it I found the thing that made the pain go away. And then my injuries subsided and I became a Masters All American sprinter and I've been basically injury free ever since. And so after that second barefoot run I wanted to be as close to barefoot as I could as often as I could. I knew about the Tarumara Indians who run for hundreds of miles in a pair of sandals made out of scraps of tire and some leather. And so I got some materials together, started making some sandals uh, for myself and some other local barefoot runners. Uh, People saw what those were and more people asked for some as well and placed another order for materials and made twice as many. And then that happened again and I placed another order for twice as much and made twice as many. And then finally – as you alluded to yesterday, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this yesterday, um, a guy who was a local barefoot running coach said, uh, hey, if you treated this little hobby of yours like a business, like if you had a website, I'd put you in a book I'm writing. And so I rush home, pitch the idea to my wife who tells me I'm a complete moron <laughs> and it will not work. It's a waste of time. It won't make any money. It's a distraction from other things that we're doing. And I assured her that she was totally correct. Um, and she goes to bed around nine and by 10, I had a website up. <laughs> There's so much going on. It's so profound. So like <clears throat> what, just getting back into the, the barefoot part of it, of, of, of the, yeah. the, the thought process, what you're mm-hmm. saying is that when you remove these, as you, you call them, uh, feet coffins, yeah, the body just knows what to do is what you're saying. Well, it kind of figures it out. Fine. It'll figure it out. Given time, it'll figure it out. Now, it's a little more complicated than that because some people have more or less facility with some. Look, some people can't feel when it hurts anymore. That technically, their brain map for their foot has so de differentiated that their brain is literally not receiving signals from the nerves in their feet. And I've seen people go run and rip skin off their feet like crazy and not even know they were doing it. Some people, they can feel when it hurts and so they are motivated to do something differently, but they're not very good at. Uh, understanding where their body is in space. And so it's hard for them to move difficultly. It, it, look, it's difficult for all of us to move differently. We're wired, our brains are wired to get into grooves, to get into patterns and stick with them because it's more energy efficient. So moving differently is a challenging thing for almost everybody. Uh, and so some people just like really have a hard time with it and they need visual cues and video and a bunch of things to help them understand what their body really is doing compared to what they think it's doing. Some people just need some cues like, hey, um, try to like move forward, but don't let your feet get in front of you. Like make sure your ankle lands behind your knee and just various cues that they can use to go, oh, okay, now I know how to experiment. And then some people really are naturals and they just go out and have a good time. The problem with them is they have so much fun, they run past the point where they've gotten tired and then they revert to one of those previous levels. So given enough time, you'd figure it out. But it, we don't have that kind of time. We don't have that kind of patience. People confuse frustration 
with learning or more accurately learning with frustration. They think that when they're trying to learn a new movement pattern, the thing that they experience as frustration they think is a sign that they shouldn't be doing it. But what it's really a sign of is the difficulty that it takes to lay down new neural pathways. We forget that learning happens in the resting period between bouts of experimenting. So you do this difficult thing of trying to move differently. It's very frustrating and difficult and challenging and frustrating. But then you rest for a little while. Your brain kind of figures it out and starts to lay down some new pathways. You go out and try it again a couple days later, and you're better even though you weren't practicing in the interim. That's because you've internalized it somewhat. And that internalization process takes time. And you have to be willing to go through that awkward teenager phase of the, quote, frustration as you're laying down new neural pathways. And some people are happy doing that and some people not so much. So again, put it all together. Anyone can do it, I believe. Uh, But there's things that make it easier for people to go through these various learning phases. And one of the biggest is understanding that there are phases that you're going to have to go through. That's interesting because I think that can be applied to literally anything. Everything. Everything. Yeah. And and it, I I guess it seems like it it will it will be more pal, you know palatable if the person realizes kind of just that these phases that you're describing if if it's, if they're it, more aware of them if they raise that awareness it's level framing it's a framing thing imagine for the fun of it um, one day you have a headache and you go ah oh, yeah yeah that's a real problem and you know your first thought is Advil versus a totally different frame for a headache imagine that that sensation that you're feeling that you grew up in a group of people who told you that that sensation that you previously took Advil for is the sign of your imminent awakening. That if you just, if you, if it gets more intense, it means you're about to become enlightened, whatever that means for you. I'm just making up a story. I'm not saying I even believe in those things, but imagine how different you would experience the sensations if you believe that they were the sign of your imminent awakening. One, you're rushing for Advil. The other is more, more, more. So, you know, framing is a lot of it. Yeah. I, I've done that in my own life because, uh, I perform out music once in a while and in the past it would be fear of getting up in front of people. Now it's that, that feeling that comes up. That's always going to, it's still there. It's, it's, you know, it only sometimes gets smaller is that I I think of it as excitement and Mm -hmm. it actually makes me excited. I think it was Fritz Perls, the psychologist who said that um, anxiety is just excitement without the breathing. That's interesting. (laughs) That's interesting. That's an interesting analogy. Yeah. So Steven jumping back to, to zero. Yeah. Overnight process? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was so quaint. Uh, well, you know, yes, to a certain extent. So I launched a website. I, I built something over in a couple of hours. I launched it two weeks later. It took off very, very quickly. Uh, in part, though, because I, what calmed my wife down after I built the site, despite her objections, I said, look, the people who are ranking for the keywords that I care about right now are there by accident, and I know how to get there on purpose. So I think I can own this in a few months, and I did. So that alone, I mean, that statement is sort of a not overnight because I had been doing search engine marketing since before there was an internet practically. Uh, I, was, I was literally one of the first guys teaching how to do search engine optimization when, That's awesome. when the, only, the only search engine was AltaVista and I figured out some tricks. So, so not overnight just from that alone. Uh, and then we went through phases with the business. At first it was a hobby. We were literally running it out of a corner of a spare bedroom. Then it turned into a couple of desks in a spare bedroom and then it took over the whole house and we had customer service at our dining room table and fulfillment in our living room and 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 product in our garage and uh, then we moved into an office and then we've got this the former head of 
product design for Crocs working for us, and now the former head of internal sales for Crocs working for us, and the former CEO of Crocs is going to be on our board of directors. And uh, so it's been, yeah, this very, this very um, not overnight phase of growth, although there are definitely periods, uh, inflection points where things just changed very, very quickly uh, in a very big way. But it was everything leading up to those inflection points that allowed them to happen. And let me back up and just add once again, a buttload of luck. I mean, massive, massive amounts of good fortune. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's always sobering to hear that from somebody like yourself, because it's frustrating to hear today a lot of people teaching, teaching people my age, people just, just jumping into the game, like, look, if you do this within three months, you're going to be an overnight success. Yeah, they're liars. They're, yeah. they're, they're saying that they're saying that because they because they're selling their product. I mean, it's look, it's it happens sometimes. Congratulations. It's great. But if anyone tells you there is a step by step path to let's use the word success, I'm putting big air quotes around it. I guarantee they're trying to sell you something. And would you say too? now we're, we're applying this to to entrepreneurship, we're applying it to building mm-hmm. a business. Would you say that same thing applies to if you're trying to heal a relationship, if you're trying to you know, completely huh. change your, your, your body, your health? That's a really interesting question. I think, I think, I don't know about that. Think about the guy who's the 500-pound guy who one day suddenly says, man, I got to change this, and then does. Why did it happen on that day and not the day before or the day after? That was like a spontaneous, catalytic moment that changed everything. In relationships... Uh, for me, the, this is going to sound funny. Before my wife and I were a couple, the thing that, that I don't, we were friends for a long time, one day I realized that, how do I want to say this? I had a belief called I'd be happy if I was in the right relationship. And one day I realized that that was a silly belief. I had no evidence for it uh, because I'd never been in the right relationship. Boy, ask my exes. I was totally not the right relationship material. And, and it was just a fanta- literally a fantastic belief about an imagined future. And for, for some reason that I can't explain, one day I lost the ability to believe I'll be happy when I'm in an imagined future. And frankly, that was the moment that I became someone who could be a good couple with my wife. And literally, our relationship started an hour later when I apologized for all of the ridiculously embarrassing ways that I was behaving when I believed this idea and was trying to get her on board with the project. And I just, you know, uh, uh, apologized profusely for the inevitable actions that I took when I was being stupid and believing that thought. And then a little while later, she leans over and kisses me. And I said, wow, it's a good thing you did that. And she's, why? I said, well, it would have been weird for me to ask you to marry me before you'd ever kissed me. (laughs) And so then I kept asking her to marry me every day for the next nine months. And then she eventually said yes. That's awesome. And for you, just like, was it like an analytical process? Like, it's kind of, you know, thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's, it's very transparent. I I appreciate you sharing that. Like, when you noticed that moment, when you saw that, like, that shift in her, were you you kind of processing that in your mind analytically? (laughs) Um, that's an interesting question as well. So, so anyway, I want to back up a little bit. So your question of, you know, do all these things take time? This is actually the fundamental Zen argument between the two schools of Zen, Soto and Rinzai is, is enlightenment immediate or does it, or does it take time? And the answer is yes, uh, both. So this immediate thing that happened for the 500 pound guy or for me about relationships, why did it happen again in that moment and not a moment before and a moment later? So to a certain extent it was spontaneous 
but you could also argue that it was all these things that led up to it that allowed the spontaneous event to occur. So there's no answer for that. It's a it's a bit of a bit of a um, conundrum paradox. Yeah, yeah, conundrum paradox. I, I, if we can stick with Zen, we could say koan. So um, so there was a significantly analytical process for me of just looking for the evidence for my fictitious belief. Like, why did I believe this? I mean, is it true at all? Do I have any evidence for it? Um, could the opposite be as true or more true? Uh, I just really was picking it apart because prior to that, I had been believing it without any question or any investigation. And so I really investigated it very, very hard. Uh, but I wouldn't, and I wouldn't call that ex- exclusively analytical because some of the investigation involved things like, well, how does it feel in my body when I'm believing this? What would it feel like in my body if I didn't believe this? If I woke up on a planet where they never had this concept, what would it feel like if I believed the exact opposite? So it was really just an exploration of uh, what I believe to be factual and then looking at, let's call them counterfactuals and all the things that are, that argue with what I thought was true. And while that's, there's a part of that that's analytical, uh, since I don't, think of the mind and body as inherently separate that way, it's also a very physical thing. And then again, then the, the thing where something snapped, I have no idea what the hell that was. Do you, think, do you think those same thought processes go into how you approach your sprinting? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. And I find myself working so hard to come up with a yes or no answer that I'm not going to try and box it in that way <laughs> artificially. So it's it's more of like a that's your zen like that running is is the zen for you. That's <laughs> eh, just a lot of fun. It, it's I like uh, it, it. It combines so many things that I like that that's why I do it. I have to ask you. What, so it's kind of cool, like just seeing all the different media outlets that you've been being featured on. Again, somebody could look back and like, wow, look at all this media he's getting getting approached. And again, look at that process. Look how how yeah. much time and effort has gone into this. A lot of time what, and effort. What was the the Shark Tank experience like? Oh man! Um, from the moment they said they were interested to the moment we aired, it was a lot of anxiety. Because first, when you're auditioning, are they going to take me? Then, when you then when they say yes, what do we need to do to prepare to be on the show? Uh, we read all the autobiographies of the sharks. We watched every episode of Shark Tank and all the Dragons Dens. We did mock Shark Tank sessions with with um, uh, CEO friends of ours. We spent a lot of time figuring out what valuation we could justify and where we were willing to negotiate. So a lot of work, which was actually great. It really helped us focus. And it was the first thing that Lane and I did that was a very strong business-focused activity as a couple. I mean, we'd been running the business up until then, but this was took a lot of concerted effort between the two of us. And that was just awesome. It was really great for both focusing about what we wanted to build, turn this business into, and just for us personally. And then the shared experience of doing it was great for us as a couple as well. We really uh, it just got a lot out of that. That's then awesome. from the moment it, it aired, uh, well, and then you tape the show, and what ends up on TV is not entirely what happens in real life. So you're really worried about how it's – look. How they I've cut it and chop it up and yeah, package it. Yeah, I have a master's in film. One of the first things that we did in our editing class was everyone got the same footage of a old like 50s Western television show and had to cut together the fight scene. And with 20 different people, you ended up with 20 different fight scenes. So it's like I telephone. Know, yeah. So I knew as soon as we walked off the set, the first thing I said to Elena was, whoa, that was not what I expected. <laughs> we knew that they could cut it to make us look like whatever they wanted. But they're not – 
they're not mean. They're not rude. They're, they say, look, we're a Disney network. We want people to want to be on the show. If someone looks really bad on the show, it probably was worse in real life. <laughs> and um, I met some, some people who said, you know, I got a really bad edit. They made me look like a horrible, narcissistic, crazy person. I said, you know, I've, I, now that I've known you for a few months, you, you got a pretty good edit. Um, so, um, yeah, they, they, yeah, they did a good job for you. Yeah, they, they made you look pretty good. So, but then the, the experience itself was tremendous. It has been really helpful for our business. We have way more awareness of our company than any company our size has a right to have. Uh, it's been a great calling card when we're talking to the investment community because they've seen us under a very high stress situation. And even though they cut out some of our best answers and you know hit it out of the park responses to objections, we still look pretty good. So uh, it, it's been tremendous. My only quote regret, and I put quotes on that because I don't really have them, is – is simply just acknowledging that if we were able to do the show today rather than three years ago, it would be worth so much more to us because we've evolved so much more as a company in the interim time. But of course, some of that evolution required Shark Tank to happen. So that's interesting a, to know, look at it catch like that. 20, catch 22. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Stephen, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> we're at the end of today's episode, and I just want to ask you one final question. And you've kind of been leaving little little nuggets on the trail over these last two days, but I want to kind of have you sum it up. If you were to kind of give us, if you were at the end of your life suddenly and you were reflecting on all that you have done, all that you've been through, all that you have created, what kind of impact would you want to be remembered for? <laughs> I'm laughing because there's nothing I care less about than how I'm remembered. Um, I wow. Like, I like that. It's, yeah, I, I really, it's, it is so not a concern of mine. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm going to try and make it up, though. Let me, let me, I'm going to ask us, or answer a slightly different question. Um, boy, I don't even know how to come up with a better question. It's a, it's a great question. Don't care. <laughs> and, um, and, and simultaneously, I do have the fantasy of you know, making sure that, that I have a, uh, in my absence that people come together and, and roast me. I think that would be a lot of fun. So I, if anything, I would like to be thought of as someone who always saw things with a fun, unusual, and laugh-inducing perspective, who liked to find the truth underneath what most people think of as reality, and that on a good day, maybe help some other people do the same. No, I, that's why I've, I've really been just appreciating just this, this hour with you, is, is talking about just kind of looking at that really, these interesting ways that you will look at something and how you take it and break it down and it's 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 unconventional in, in certain ways and it's 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 enlightening it's definitely you know it's it's helping me kind of see things in a different way oh well then i've just achieved my deathbed wish you have achieved it <laughs> I can, I, i'm gonna go right now <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's all over it's 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 all over you could you could you can that's it you could um one foot one foot in so steven <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and i just want to ask you um What's going on right now with, with Zero Shoes? If, if somebody's listening and they're really interested in getting a pair of these, of these shoes that, that you do sell, what can they expect? Is there anything going on, any kind of offers right now? Uh, that's a really good question as well. And uh, first of all, Zero Shoes is xeroshoes.com or Zero Shoes at almost every social media platform you can find. And 
depending on when people are listening to this, I can't necessarily tell you the answer to that. But what's happening immediately right now, we launched a new product back in March that's called our Z Trail Sandal. If you think of like Chaco or Teva or Keen, but then get rid of all the weight, all the bulk, have something flexible enough to let your foot move naturally, give you enough protection that you can handle pretty much any trail, have it it's so light that it floats. Uh, and we've had people fall asleep in them, forgetting they were wearing them. Uh, there, it's an it's a amazing product. Uh, that's become our bestseller overnight. I will drop the hint that in the fall, people keep asking us once they get addicted to our shoes, our sandals. They go, "What if I need a closed toe something for work or when it gets cold?" Uh, we have an answer for them happening in the fall, and then another answer for them happening in the spring, and then some additional sandals so, happening next spring. And we're just building out. We're just building out a really as big of a business as we can, as big of a community as we can of people who believe in having footwear that's natural, that supports the natural shape of your foot, the natural movement of your foot, and the natural desire slash ability of your foot to feel things underneath it in a way that's safe and enjoyable. And we just want to do more and better of that every day. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. And uh, also too, what's the best way for anybody to reach out to you or to reach out to the company if they have any questions? Uh, psychically is really good, um, <laughs> but in in lieu of in lieu of psychic powers and messages, uh, xeroshoes.com, and you can find all of our contact info there. And I'm I'm hyper accessible on all the social media, also. Excellent, thank you so much, Stephen. Definitely going to be look, looking up, you know, checking out what's going on and 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 the updates that you have coming out. So thank you for uh, having this uh, cerebral conversation <laughs> with me for My these pleasure. last few days. All right, take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Positivity Effect. I hope we stirred self-reflection in you on topics like transparency, compassion, and empathy. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to PositivityEffects.com and support the show by making a purchase. During the month of May, just enter promo code LAUNCH and you will receive 10% off your order. If you haven't had a chance also, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. They mean the world and they help get the word out about the show. So thank you again for tuning in. See you tomorrow, guys, for another episode of The Positivity Effect.